Hey everyone, I'm Meg Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Hello and welcome back, Awesomes. You are listening to the show that is all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We are in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know. Don't forget, you can also find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or over on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. Well, friends, this is episode 235 of Sorta Awesome. Before we get into this episode, I just want to give a big old shout out to our community of awesomes over on Facebook. You guys who may be brand new to the show, maybe you haven't discovered our Hangout group yet. I want to personally invite you to come over and join us on Facebook. We have over 5,000 amazing women who are showing up to support each other in the big and small details of life, helping everyone to find the awesome in every situation. So if you haven't found us over there, it's super simple to do. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. Okay, you guys, like I said, this is episode 235. I am so excited about this week's episode because I get to welcome back to Sorta Awesome, one of my very favorite people. This guest today is the author of Reading People, and I'd rather be reading. Of course, you know her as the creator of Modern Mrs. Darcy and also the creator and host of What Should I Read Next? Anne Bogle, welcome back to Sorta Awesome. Oh, it's so good to be back. Thanks for having me, Meg. Of course. Okay. So you are here today. We're going to be talking about analysis paralysis, which is something I am unfortunately intimately familiar with. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is the laugh of recognition. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, you guys, Anne is here because her latest book just came out this week. It is called Don't Overthink It, Making Easier Decisions. Stop second guessing and bring more joy to your life. I was telling Anne, in our conversations leading up to today's episode that I am convinced that she wrote this book for me and me alone because every single page I'm like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I needed to hear. So Anne, first of all, I'm just going to start with a big thank you for this book. You're so sweet. Thank you. I mean, I'm sorry it resonated, but I'm glad it resonated, Meg. (laughs) Well, we're going to get into this in just a few minutes because you and I share a lot of personality type sameness. And so Truly, to have somebody teach me how to stop the freaking cycle of overthinking in my life, including analysis paralysis, has been so super helpful. So we're going to get to all of that. Anne has some incredible tips to share with us how all of us can, first of all, recognize when we've gotten into the cycle of analysis paralysis, part of overthinking, and then what to do to get out of that cycle. So we're going to get to that in just a few minutes. But first, we're going to go ahead and start this show the way we always do with our Awesomes of the Week. You guys know it's that moment in the show where we stop and talk about the books or TV shows, movies, podcasts, products, whatever it is that's making life just a little bit more awesome right now. So, Anne, I can't wait to hear what you have for your Awesome of the Week this week. Meg, I'm a pen geek. Oh, good. Yes. Love it. This is thoroughly documented on and off the internet. So a friend of mine who was dismayed when she discovered I was not familiar with the Tokyo Pen Shop, sent me a special delivery. It was so great. So I love everything in there. But one of the things she sent me was completely new to me. 
and it's making my to-do list making even more fun than usual this month. That is always a treat. Tell us all about it. Okay. I am holding in my hands a clean color dot pen from Kuretake. It's this really pretty like green, blue, ocean color. And what oh, it yeah. does, this is either going to sound ridiculously simple or perfect in its or simplicity. Totally yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's the one. So really what it is, is a pen. Well, it's a two-ended pen, but on one end, it just you just dab it on the page and it makes a perfect dot, like a perfect bullet for your to-do mm. list. It is an instant list maker. <gasps> and the other end has the same color, but it's a very fine line oh my gosh. pen. So it just makes me really happy to plan my day in the morning and get out this dot pen and just dot all my to-dos. And they're this pretty oceany blue because usually I use pencil or a gray pen in my journal. Mm, So it's just this little pop of color and it makes me way happier than it should. But don't we all love to find those things that do? Absolutely. That is how Awesome of the Week was born is finding those little details in life that make life so much better. So I'm going to grab a link from you later so we can pop that into our show notes because I am intrigued. It sounds perfect for list making, journaling, all of that fun stuff. So yeah, I love the blue, the peacefully oceany blue color too. It feels like that could bring some zen to the list making and crossing off process. I love that color. And these things matter when you're talking about the thing that's helping you keep your life together, which in my case is my journal. Totally, totally. Thank you so much for that. So my awesome of the week this week, I think it's something that you're going to enjoy because you and I have a number of things in common. One thing is that we both enjoy us some Trader Joe's shopping. Keep talking. Yes. So this is my newest favorite, as in I'm literally stockpiling this. I pick it up every time I'm in the store, whether we're out or not, because I'm like, you never know when something's going to disappear at Trader Joe's. So I have been stockpiling it. And listen, awesomes, if you're listening and you don't have a Trader Joe's, do not skip through this because I've got a sort of taste alike for you that I'm going to share after I tell you what this is. So at Trader Joe's, and this is the Chili Onion Crunch. Have you seen this? Have you tried it? No, this is all new to me, but I was just there this week. So, okay, I'll be there again on Wednesday. So tell me what I need to know. (laughs) Okay. So the Chili Onion Crunch comes in a little jar. It has a ton of flavor. I'm just going to tell you what the ingredients are first. It is olive oil. And in the olive oil, it's sort of like, how can I say this? Sort of like a suspension in olive oil, okay? And they've got dried onions and garlic. So dried onions, dried garlic, crushed chili peppers, dried red bell peppers, and it has a little bit of like paprika for coloring and It is like a hot sauce, but also it has those dried onions and the dried red bell peppers and the dried chili peppers give it some crunch, which is where it gets that name, Chili Onion Crunch. (laughs) (laughs) So you get the heat, but it also comes with this really satisfying crunch. So if you enjoy things like everything but the bagel seasoning, which is like a really like a crunchy, you know, topping for things, but you also like some heat. This is the perfect product. I will say it's pretty spicy, but when you pair it with things that are a little bit more mild, oh my gosh, Anne, it is a marriage made in heaven and I love it. (laughs) What I need to know is where do I find it in the store? Okay, yes. So 
in my store, they have only been putting it on like end caps for a while. Now, I did find it just this past week in the sort of like, you know, they have that little section that has some of the hot sauces like the green dragon sauce and some of those more Asian inspired condiments and hot sauces and stuff. That's where I found it in the store in Oklahoma City. But I'm confident if you just ask one of their team members, they can point you right to it. So I'm going to tell you some of the things that I have tried it on that have been so delicious so far. I'm always experimenting like, hmm, could it go on this? Could it go on this? So, so far, I will tell you, it's so great in pasta, just plain buttered pasta. You put a spoonful of this on there mix it all up. You've got something with a little bit of heat to it, but again, it's got that crunch. You could do it on avocado or avocado toast. You can do it on eggs. I'll tell you what it's really delicious on, and that's like salmon or other fish. You know, a lot of us, since we're now in the season of Lent, a lot of us are going meatless on Fridays, eating more fish. This is perfect for something that's really almost bland or really mild like fish is. So good. But I'm going to tell you, and my very favorite thing is to take some of the Trader Joe's sourdough sandwich bread and shred up some of their unexpected cheddar to make a grilled cheese sandwich and then dip the grilled cheese sandwich into this chili onion crunch. It's a revelation. That and it sounds just changed my life. Amazing. It's so that sounds good. amazing. So good. Okay, so I told you, if you do not have Trader Joe's nearby, do not despair because this is actually one of those products that has a really similar product to something else. And that is called, oh my goodness, I'm gonna have to <laughs> bear with me on this pronunciation, Lao Gan Ma Chili Crisp Sauce, which is apparently, I didn't know this, but apparently a very famous, very well-known brand of chili sauce that's made in China. You can probably get it at your local Asian market, but if you don't have one of those, you can also find it on Amazon. So again, a taste alike for this chili onion crunch at Trader Joe's is Lao Gan Ma Chili Crisp Sauce. I'll put links to all of this stuff in the show notes for you guys. But seriously, Anne, Trader Joe's, it's like every time I go in there, something's going to change my life. Oh, I don't know what it says about me that I'm just nodding fervently. <laughs> Love it. Okay. So you guys, those are our awesomes of the week. You know that we cannot wait to hear what is awesome in your life every single week. So over on Instagram, if you are an awesome of Instagram, you know that every Friday morning we have an awesome of the week thread over there for you. Again, we're at Sort of Awesome Show on Instagram. And like I was saying at the top of the show on Facebook in our hangout group, we have an awesome of the week thread every single week. You never know what delights you're going to find in that thread. So if you haven't joined us again, over there, it is facebook.com slash groups slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. All right, Anne, I cannot wait to dig into our conversation today because genuinely, I really feel like as I was reading this book, I was like, for a time such as this in my life, this book has been speaking to me. And I genuinely do think it's because you and I have so many similarities personality-wise. We are both Enneagram nines, for those of you who speak Enneagram. In Myers-Briggs, you're an INFP, I'm an ENFP. So we really see the world in similar ways. And I think that's why this book spoke to me so much because you really dig in and walk people through how to get out of the cycle of overthinking in general. And I have found, you know, I can listen to like productivity experts and self-help gurus, but for people who are like already naturally geared towards not overthinking, <laughs> <laughs> their advice and their direction, it doesn't always hit me the way it does when somebody who really speaks my language 
talks about it. So before we dig into what we're talking about today, which is analysis paralysis, let's talk about the personality stuff. Do you think, because I know you love personality stuff too. In fact, your whole first book was (laughs) around that, reading people. Tell me what your thoughts are. Like, do you think that there are personality types that are more prone by nature to struggling with overthinking? Or is it just me, literally? (laughs) It is not just you. When it comes to anything, anywhere, it's really never just you. Okay. I mean, yes and absolutely, but overthinking manifests in so many different ways. It's so sneaky that some people are very prone to some types of overthinking and others are prone to others. That sounds so wishy-washy. Here, let me get specific. Okay. Perfectionism drives so much overthinking. So if you are a deeply entrenched perfectionist, you will experience those manifestations of overthinking in your life. Some people are very decisive about many things, except they'll get tripped up on one key thing, like Mm. money is huge or Mm -hmm. your personal relationships. So different people struggle in different ways, depending on how they see the world. That's very true. But it's no surprise to me that you and I are really jiving on what it looks like in our own lives. Yeah, totally. Because, you know, as P-types, I think in Myers-Briggs, you know, the P-types are the ones who really like to explore possibilities. And I don't know if it's the same for you, but for me as an ENFP, I think I can just really get bogged down in all of the great possibilities and to the point where actually making a decision is so hard because that means that I'm having to like say no to all of the other possibilities there. And I find that I, you know, it just is like, oh, it's just so hard to make a decision because what if it's the wrong one? What if it was one of these other possibilities? And I can really camp out there for, you know, a little too long. I absolutely relate to that. I mean, the guiding principle of modern Mrs. Darcy is Emily Dickinson's quote, I dwell in possibility. Yes. I love exploring the potentialities. It was really jarring to me to realize, I don't want to put the get ahead of myself here because we're going to talk all about analysis paralysis, but it was so jarring to me to realize that intellectual curiosity, which sounds so positive. I mean, what could possibly be wrong with that? Right. Right. It just takes you straight into analysis paralysis because (laughs) when you habitually seek more information about what's in front of you, because you find it interesting. Oh yeah. You have too many data points. You see whole landscapes of possibilities that never occur to other people. And that makes it really hard to decide. And just realizing, oh, it makes so much sense why I get into trouble in that way was really eye-opening to me. It's really kind of validating too, I feel like, to be like, oh, now I get it. That makes sense. Right, right, right. But it made me realize how sneaky overthinking can be because, I mean, I consider that one of your best qualities, Meg, that you are so intellectually curious and that you are so gifted at seeing possibilities that others don't. And yet it gets you into so much trouble. It gets me (laughs) into so much trouble and it doesn't seem fair, but (laughs) being able to articulate this is how it works, lets you actually make a positive change in your life. Totally. And I think this is one of those conversations where it's so fascinating to look at the intersection of Enneagram and Myers-Briggs. For example, my husband is an INTJ who's an Enneagram 5. So as an Enneagram 5, you know, they're known as the researchers, as the investigators. He loves a deep dive into a topic. So here's where it creates a little dissonance for him, though, because as an INTJ, he's really, you know, sort of drawn to take action, to make a decision, to move forward and be efficient. 
And so when he gets into a project that has an end goal of actually doing something, I think it causes some frustration for him because he's like, he's on this deep dive. He's gathered all this information. He has seen all the possibilities. And yet as a J type and as an efficiency type, like most NTs are, he's really compelled to take action. But then the investigator, you know, Enneagram 5 part of him is like, no, no, wait, let's dig a little more. Let's do a little more research. There could be something else out there that we haven't discovered yet. (laughs) And if you're unaware of the connection between those things and how they can affect your behavior if left unchecked, then, I mean, you can make yourself crazy. Yes. Or just be really frustrated all the time. But if he can articulate, oh, this is what's happening. And as a result, this is what I need to do can be so empowering. Totally, totally. Well, some of the things we're going to talk about today really, I think, are going to really resonate with our awesomes who are listening, who by personality, by nature, by disposition, tend to be either intellectually curious or, you know, like really like to investigate. They really like to see the possibilities. I think it's going to really resonate. Now, I know there's going to be awesomes who are listening for whom this isn't such a struggle. Maybe they just are able to get clear on what they want to do next more easily. And also, I think it's important to acknowledge that season of life can have a big impact on this as well. There are times in my life, even as a nine, even as a P-type, where, you know, I'll struggle a little bit. I'll get trapped in some possibilities, but then I can pretty easily, you know, come to the surface and be like, okay, here's what we're going to do. But there's other moments, like, for example, when I'm adapting to having five children instead of four, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I'm really vulnerable to especially falling into analysis paralysis. So hopefully there will be something that I know there will be something that speaks to everybody as we talk about analysis paralysis. And why don't you start with just giving us an overview? I'm sure lots of us have heard the phrase, heard the terminology analysis paralysis, but what exactly are we talking about when we use that phrase? We're talking about that state in which you're overthinking things to such a degree that you are completely unable to make a decision. Yep. You're looking at the options. And even though you know you just need to move forward right now and pick something, you are frozen. You can't do it. Frozen. That is a good way to describe it. And I think that that is what really resonates with me is I feel like mentally, I just kind of keep bumping up against a thing. Like I'll just be going through my day and then a decision I need to make comes to the surface and I feel stuck. I feel like I cannot budge from where I am because I get so bogged down in what if this, what if that, have I considered this? So yeah, I think that idea of being frozen or stuck, that really speaks to this, you know, sort of overall mental and sometimes emotional even condition that we find ourselves in. Yes. Okay. But in chapter, let's see, which chapter are we in? We're in the watch what you're doing chapter of don't overthink it, which is chapter three in your book. You give a really helpful rundown that gives some antidotes to analysis paralysis. You talk about some of the factors that can lead us into this situation. But what I love about this book, Anne, is that every single chapter you're like, here's a component of overthinking. Don't despair because I'm going to help you. I'm going to hold your hand and pet your hair a little bit, rub you on the back. (laughs) We all need that sometimes. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And we're going to get through this together. So you give some really helpful antidotes. Let's just start at the top of your list. Sure. Well, yeah, the first thing you have is like do a reality check, which, yeah, that's key. And that's where I definitely I start living in the world. It's just like not realistic. So talk to us about doing a reality check. Mm -hmm. Well, this is especially important if you feel inclined toward perfectionism. Oftentimes when we're making a decision, we get hung up on the idea that the right 
answer, imagine heavy air quotes, the right answer Mm. is out there somewhere. And so if we just keep looking, if we just keep exploring, then one day we will reach the end of our quest and we will find it. And also it will seem obvious and we will have no doubt it is the right answer and we'll know exactly Mm. what to do. And we feel like until we get to that point where we're looking at the right option and it's clear, it's the capital R right option. Mm-hmm. That's when we'll be done. But until then, we're just going to wait and see and keep exploring. Yeah. But perfect solutions don't exist. And yeah. there's seldom one right answer. There are vastly more often many good answers. And just realizing mm. that thing you're looking for, it's not there. You got to make a choice based on what's in front of you can be really helpful. Because something about analysis paralysis and why it's so deadly at times is we try to think our way out of that situation, but that just makes us more deeply entrenched. And unless we intervene by like doing a reality check and just getting a different perspective on the situation, the analysis paralysis will not resolve itself. We have to change what we're doing in order to move on. Absolutely. This spoke to me so much. And I will say that this is something that my INTJ husband is very adept at pointing out when my thinking goes here because I'm a nine, but I have a strong one wing. So I am really looking for the right thing, the perfect thing. This is something that has plagued so many problems in our marriage and parenting. And as an INTJ, as a like sort of rational type, he's really quick to point out like, just try something. Like, even if it doesn't work, like, especially in more low stakes situations, he's like, if it doesn't work, just change it. It's okay if it's not the perfect solution from the beginning. And I often, I mean, we've been married for over 20 years and he's still telling me the same thing he was telling me when we were newlyweds. Just try something. But it's true. You can get to where you're like, no, I know that the perfect thing is out there, but I can't act until I have that flashing like neon sign that's like, here it is. This is perfect. Do this. And too often that's just, well, like hundred percent of the time, that's not reality. <laughs> well, that is amazing advice because if you want to get out of analysis paralysis, you need to act, which yes, is really that, tough when you're feeling paralyzed. Totally. And that's the next one on your list. The next tip for overcoming analysis paralysis is just get moving. Just get moving. Get out there. Do it. Yeah, do something. Just do something. Even if it's a baby step forward, even if it's a choice that might not be the best choice, that moves you forward. But of course, if you feel stuck, so stuck that you can't act, and I'm telling you to act, that can be really frustrating. So going back to what your husband said, when you need to move on, when you're stuck in analysis paralysis, it's really important to consciously reject that perfectionism and not be so hard on yourselves. Oh, I have another awesome of the week, actually, Meg. Oh, okay. Let's hear it. There's a great song that your awesomes may like. It's by Jess Glenn and it's called Don't Be So Hard on Yourself. It's really peppy. It'll make you want to dance. So if you're stuck in analysis paralysis, just put this thing on, listen to it, get all psyched up and then pick something. Okay. Another thing that was, I think, maybe written for me. So I'm going to (laughs) look it up right when we're done recording. It's so catchy. You're going to love it. Okay. Yeah. What your husband said was, it's okay if it's not the perfect choice, just pick something and move forward, giving yourself permission to not make the perfect choice, to possibly screw up, to acknowledge that that would be okay is an important step. And something that's been so, so hugely helpful for me these past like five, six, seven years since I first heard about it is when you're facing a choice, instead of thinking, oh my gosh, what if I screw up? I have to choose correctly to tell myself, hey, like consider this an experiment. Like whatever outcome I get is data. Let's just try something and see what happens next. 
Because if all you want is data, is information as to what happens if you choose option B, then there's no way to get wrong. Like you're going to get an outcome. Exactly. Exactly. And then you can pivot. But first you got to pick something. And if I think it's an experiment, then it just takes the pressure way off, way lowers the stakes. It's so much easier to move forward. Totally, totally. And that really just goes right in line with what was next on your list in this chapter, which is just to kick perfectionism to the curb. And I think to even back up from that step a little bit is to acknowledge that you're being perfectionistic, which, you know, perfectionism has such a negative connotation because it can cause just a variety of problems in our lives, whether it's in our work life or relationship life. And so I'm thinking sometimes we may skirt around that reality and be really hesitant to admit that we're struggling with perfectionism. And so I think the first part of being able to kick perfectionism to the curb is like to acknowledge like, I maybe have some perfectionist thinking about this. (laughs) Well, there's a flip side to that too. And that is that I'll still talk to people who say, what's wrong with wanting to get things right? Ah, yeah. And I mean, my answer to that is like, there's nothing wrong with wanting things to be right. But the question is how much mental energy are you expending Mm. in that pursuit? And if you use all your energy trying to figure out, I don't know, give me an example, Meg, of something that perfectionism has driven you to overthink. Oh, my goodness. Let's see. Just in day-to-day life, like thinking like my house stuff, like where do I even start? You know, if we've got a lot of clutter, for example, in a room and I have a vision for what I want that room to look like, just walking into the room and being like, (gasps) I can never get to that vision because look at this place. And so, you know, with that perfect vision in mind, Mm -hmm. I just shut down Mm -hmm. right there. So if you use all your mental energy trying to figure out how one day you're going to make a plan to conquer the clutter in your living room, then you won't have the mental energy reserves you need to like have an important conversation with your daughter. So there's nothing wrong with wanting to get things right. But the question is, what are you giving up in order to Mm. do that? And if the answer is being present in your personal relationships, like, no, you don't want to pay that cost. So just go easy on yourself, on your perfect vision for your home or on choosing, getting exactly the best like cost per ounce on like the gala apples, you know, like, (laughs) yes, I mean, I'm laughing. Purely hypothetical example. No idea where that came from. (laughs) I'm laughing, but yes, exactly. I see that in myself for sure, for sure. So yeah, that is super helpful. And that's like such a breakthrough moment, actually, to think about it's okay to want to get things right. It's okay to want to do things the right way. Is it interfering with your life and your systems and your habits because you're so consumed with, you're spending so much mental capital on the pursuit of the perfect? That's when you can kind of use that as almost like a litmus test, I guess, to be like, okay, my need to get this right is actually causing me to completely not do anything. Right. That totally makes That's sense. That's a great way to put it. Because our mental energy is not a renewable resource, or in, at least not until tomorrow. We only have so much to spend each day. So, yeah. I mean, think of it like a budget. You've only got so many dollars to spend. Where are you going to spend them? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, next on your list in the chapter is kind of something I alluded to just now when I was talking about what Kyle told me which is just give yourself permission to fail. And like you were talking about with the experiment mindset, allow yourself the permission to fail. One way that I like to say this too is give yourself permission to be a beginner. That has been huge to me in starting new projects and like moving forward, just acknowledging like, 
I'm not the expert here. I'm a beginner. And for some reason, that phrase kind of gives me the grace I need to fail because I look at, you know, beginners in my life, whether it's my children learning a new skill or a friend starting out on a new endeavor. If they mess up a little in the beginning, I'm not sitting on the sidelines like going like, boo, I knew you couldn't do it. (laughs) Why'd you even try this? I would never do that. And yet that's the standard I hold myself to. Right. Right. So yeah, that whole thing of being like, it's okay, you know, from a lot, like probably, you know, 95% of our decisions in life, it's okay if we fail a little bit Mm -hmm. at the beginning. Mm -hmm. What you just hinted at is so smart too. We do tend to be so hard on ourselves, much harder than we'd be on anyone else. So just asking yourself like, hey, if I were watching my friend do what I'm doing, what would I tell her to do can just really give us the perspective we need to make a better decision or to be healthier in our heads. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And then finally, you talked about, and we kind of covered this some already, but I just want to emphasize, you know, that your last point here is adopt a try it and see what happens approach to as a way to getting out of analysis paralysis. And that really, I think, speaks to, hey, it's okay if you fail, just do something. And I would love to hear you kind of elaborate a little bit on what that has looked like in your life. Because again, you know, we're both Enneagram nines, we can be slow to act sometimes. (laughs) A little bit sometimes. (laughs) Yes. But at the same time, I mean, I look at your life, you're writing books, you have had this incredible community of readers that has gathered around you for years. You've got an incredibly successful podcast. So obviously, at some points along the way, You've had to make the conscious decision to be like, you know what, I'm just going to try and see what happens here. So I'd love to hear you kind of elaborate on what that has looked like for you. Yes. Actually, somebody described blogging to me recently in a way I hadn't heard before, but she said, I just love how your blog is your test kitchen. It's a place to cook something up, take it for a spin, serve it to the reader, see what they think, get some feedback, try it again, or wad that recipe up and throw it in the trash because you hated it and you're never doing it again. You get to try things, see what happens, and then adjust accordingly. And if you were running a test kitchen or supervising or watching somebody else run a test kitchen, you wouldn't be like, don't you dare experiment with the number of chocolate chips in that recipe. You'd say, try it, see what happens. What if you like it? (laughs) That is the perfect image, the test kitchen. I love that because truly, There are places in our lives where all of us do, for whatever reason, because of life experiences or just enthusiasm for the thing, where we do let ourselves experiment and try new things and we're not so uptight about the perfect outcome. So I really love that picture of just being like, you know what, this is my test kitchen and we're just going to see what happens. I can see how that would be huge and unlocking analysis paralysis, especially if you're like, if you're like, you know what, this makes so much sense, but I literally don't know what to do next. (laughs) (laughs) But if you just envision yourself as being in your test kitchen, it might give you the grace and the courage to take that next step. So that is a fantastic image for that. I love it. Before we wrap up, I just am wondering, you know, a little bit of background on writing this book. This is your third book. As you dug into writing Don't Overthink It, were there any surprises along the way? Was there anything that you were like, oh my gosh, I didn't expect it to come together this way. I didn't expect to have, you know, reader response be this. You're definitely a pro at releasing books now, but I'm just wondering if there was any little surprises that popped up along the way. 
Uh, yes, and absolutely. I mean, I thought I was writing about one thing, or how about this? I thought I was writing about a certain set of things that yeah. grew more expansive as I dug uh, in. I just yeah. really did not understand the depth and breadth of mm. overthinking in my own life. Yeah. I'm the one who'd envisioned writing the book, Meg. Yeah. Uh, but in talking <laughs> with other readers too. So I know it's not just me. I was really surprised to find out how sneaky overthinking it is and like the myriad ways it manifests in our own life. And then yeah. something else that I really didn't anticipate was how I tended, along with so many people, to discount the importance of really, really simple solutions when it comes to overthinking. Like yes. you mentioned that transitioning from four to five children is a time in your life where maybe you're more prone to analysis paralysis and other kinds of overthinking than you were before. But we overthink when we're tired. We overthink when we're hungry. We overthink when we're stressed. We don't do it when we just had like a really healthy lunch in the mm. right amount of coffee and we drank our water and we went to bed at 10 last night and we slept till 6.30. I mean, those are not the moments we overthink. I know that if I get sucked into social media, it's going to happen between 2 and 4 p.m. because that's my lowest energy point of the day. And schedules are a little weird. I just have a bunch of transitions in there where it's easy for me to yes. fall off track. So now I don't pick up my phone for those things during that time. But like that's when I am vulnerable. And yeah. I really observed in myself that if the solution was so, so simple, I'd tend to discount its importance. I'd be like, oh, yeah, don't tell me to go to bed early. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's too simple to right. make a big difference. But I saw that if we neglect those basic things like drinking water and getting sleep and moving our bodies, we do so at our perils because anything that is happening in the body is happening in our brains as well. And what's good for the body is good for the brain. What's bad for the body is not good for overthinking. And I just really felt kind of silly realizing how I was like, oh, I'm too smart to mess with those basic things. Oh my gosh, that is so true. That's so true. I think it's, yeah, it is definitely a big hallmark of getting into the overthinking cycle is starting to believe that you need like a massive overhaul. You yes. need to hire like a coach to come uh -huh. in and like restructure your life for you, that you're falling apart everywhere. And it needs to be some kind of massive extreme makeover situation where <laughs> it really can be just dialing it back to what is foundational here. And it will be no surprise to hear that if you're good at overthinking things, you're probably real good at overcomplicating things as well. <laughs> yes. There's something else I learned because overthinking, it's like kind of a downer topic, right? We're talking about something that we don't want, repetitive, yeah. unhealthy, unhelpful thoughts. Like nobody wants yeah. that. So we want to overcome it and that's good. But I really loved exploring how instead of thinking our way out of happiness, we can think our way into it. It was so encouraging and fun to realize how when you put overthinking aside, all the really wonderful, shiny, happy things you can bring into your life as a result. Because overthinking comes at an opportunity cost. And that's all the things you could be thinking about and doing instead and focusing on how you can learn to get out of your own way and welcome good things into your life. I really didn't realize at first when I started writing the book, I thought that I was looking how to eliminate the negative, but I really didn't realize at the beginning what I really wanted to do was show people how to like fling the curtains open and let the sunshine oh, in and embrace peace yes. and joy and love. Because that's what happens when you put overthinking aside. You get all these good things in its place. Oh my goodness. That's so beautiful. That gave me chill bumps just listening to that. So I love that. And I'll tell you what. I mean, it's big stuff. 
Yeah, it really is. And whoever was in charge of creating the cover art for your book really captured that because it's very bright and cheerful and flowers and all good things. So I love that. Also, full disclosure, you guys, Anne reached out to me to share a snippet of my story in starting Sorta Awesome. Years ago, she asked me about my view on wanting in the very beginning, the first few years of Sorta Awesome, how important it was to me to be a beginner, to teach myself how to work in audio and to not only record, but also edit and figure out all of the ins and outs of creating audio. And so she was gracious enough to include that little snippet (laughs) in the book. Gracious enough. I said, please, Meg, please, your story would be perfect. Would you grant me the privilege of telling it? And I'm so glad you did. So grateful. Well, you wove it in perfectly into that. So you guys, I get to read a lot of books. I get sent a lot of books from publishers as they're coming out. But and I can tell you, this is one that I'm going to hang on to it because my copy is highlighted. And it has really spoken to me so much. So thank you for creating this. Oh, that means a lot. Thank you. Okay. So for people who want to go out and pick it up, tell us about where we can find it. I'm sure it's in all of the places, but where would you send us to find it? You can find it wherever new books are sold, whether that's um, your favorite online retailer, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, or whether that's your local independent bookstore. It is all the places. Perfect. Love it. Okay. Well, not that anybody needs a reminder because, girl, you are everywhere. But if we do want to track you down and find you what you're doing on social media, remind us where we can find you all around the web. My home base online is my blog, modernmrsdarcy.com. But if you've got your podcast player open in your hot little hand, I am What Should I Read Next? Easy to find there in Apple Podcasts. Easy to find and well worth subscribing to so that you can keep your to-be-read list stocked with all good things (laughs) for sure. We'll load you up. Definitely, definitely. Well, Austin's remember, you can find me all around social media at Sorta Awesome Meg. You can find the show over on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Pod. And you can find us anytime on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. You guys, thanks so much for listening. And thank you again for coming to Sorta Awesome. Oh, thanks for having me. It was my pleasure. All right, well, we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created and is hosted by me, Meg Teets. Sarah Robertson is our assistant producer and production collaboration comes from Kelly Gordon and Rebecca Hoffer. Kelly Gordon is our digital media producer and we are so thankful for the ongoing support from our listener supporters. Music is provided by the band Prager. You can find more of Prager's music at pragermusic.com. To find show notes on this and every episode of Sorta Awesome, and also to spread the Sorta Awesome love to all of your friends, you can head on over to sortaawesomeshow.com. 